0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we have a conversation with author, Dr. Jason Deusing on hope in an age of cynicism. You know, one of the things we discuss is the discipline of a really hard task for many of us, which is remembering. Also, just before we get started, I wanted to remind you again about our upcoming free live event in Surrey, British Columbia called Let's Talk Marijuana. On Thursday, February 22nd at 7pm Pacific Time, we're going to be gathering to discuss this issue, specifically, what is the Christian perspective on marijuana? A Bible teacher, author, and doctor are going to be presenting for 15 minutes each, followed by a live Q&A. If you can't make it physically, you can join us digitally by heading to our Facebook page to watch live stream. For all the information you need, head to Indout.ca and click the Let's Talk Marijuana button. Hope to see you there.
1: So we've moved beyond anxiety and we're now in this place of we've tried to amuse ourselves. That hasn't worked. And so we're left in Western culture with this kind of hopelessness where we're just despairing because we don't really know what to grab onto.
0: Hey, this is Isaac here, host of In Doubt. Glad you're joining us this week as we talk about our hope as Christians. Now, just because we're talking about hope rather than something super controversial or hot doesn't mean this episode isn't relevant. In fact, I'd say that, you know, this conversation is one of the most relevant conversations we can have today. You know, sure, it might not be directly addressing something like transgenderism, sexuality in any way, or, or dating, or apologetics, or anything like that, but it directly deals with our souls, with our kind of foundation of what we believe. Dr. Jason Dusing says that we're living in an age of cynicism. You know, we definitely see that in the world, but we can also see this in the church among Christians. Maybe you're cynical, perhaps really cynical. Uh, as humans, we're always figuratively looking at something to feed our need for security, for satisfaction, and for pleasure. And the reality is, as Christians, we've been told what to look at, yet we so often look elsewhere. Anyways, let's get into this conversation with Jason. With me today is author and professor, Dr. Jason Deusing. Jason serves as the academic provost and associate professor of historical theology at the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So thanks so much for chatting with us today, Jason.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank
0: you. Midwestern has been a kind of a neat place for us because we've been able to talk to a few different people from there, uh, people like uh, Owen Strand, for instance. Uh, so anyways, I'm wondering, before we jump into our conversation on hope, um, can you just let us know a little bit more about who you are, kind of more personally?
1: Sure. I'm, I am uh, I serve here in academic leadership, as you mentioned. Um, I'm originally from the state of Texas. Um, I grew up in the Houston area and trusted Christ my freshman year of college at Texas A&M University. God was kind to bring a number of people along my path that uh, helped me to hear the gospel really for the first time. Um, I grew up in, in a in a big city and hadn't really heard the gospel before. And uh, so that put me on a path and a journey of uh, really turning my world upside down and led to a lot of things, um, uh, but namely seminary was a part of that and and wrestling with a call to the mission field and then ultimately here into
0: academics. Did you ever think, when you were in, like, your after you were saved in freshman, that you would ever end up kind of in this senior academic leadership role at a seminary? Oh no, 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 yeah,
1: not at all. And uh, many of my friends still give me a hard time about that even today. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, God's God's very kind in the way he surprises us.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's so good. Um, all right. So today we're going to be talking, having this kind of short conversation on on hope, um, our realized hope as Christians, uh, which obviously includes our our future hope. And you make mention in your in your new book that's going to be coming out, uh, Mere Hope: Life in an Age of Cynicism. You you make a point that we are in fact living in a cynical age. And I wanted to ask what you mean by that, but I want to ask it this way. If someone from another country, say, who knew nothing of the North American or the Western culture, civilization, if they asked you, hey, what do you mean by that? What do you mean when you say you're living in a cynical age? How, how would you explain it to them?
1: Part of it is you'd have to introduce them to kind of our current Western culture, but it's changed so much even in the last 30 years. When I was uh, growing up, there was a cartoon on television called The Jetsons, and um it's laughable now, you go back and watch it. But at that time, you know, everything, it was a projection into the future where everything was automated. It was, it, was, it was really automated awesomeness. I mean, everything, you didn't have to do any chores. It was all fixed. And we just thought that, you know, how great would it be to have all this technology? You know, it would solve all of our problems. And in those days, in the 80s growing up, you know, our greatest concern were things like World War Three. You know, was it going to really happen? Were we going to go to the war with Russia? Well, since that time, um, you know, we've gotten over that. We, we didn't go to World War Three and uh, we have all this technology and it has solved a lot of our problems, but that's put us to a place of 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 really then worrying about what's next in terms of anxiety or it's put us in a place where we just don't really care. We're sort of indifferent to much of the things around us, which causes us to really not trust much around us. And then you accelerate that into just a perpetual way in which sin reveals itself in culture and our leaders and people failing us left and right. It puts us a lot of people in a place of mistrust and doubt. You know, we sort of have all this connectedness. We're aware twenty-four hours a day of every, you know, cataclysmal event in the world, and um, but it's left us in this place of, you know, you know, so what? Neil Postman in 1984 wrote a book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," and so we've moved beyond anxiety, and we're now in this place of we've tried to amuse ourselves that hasn't worked, and so we're left in Western culture with this, you know, kind of hopelessness where we're just despairing because we don't really know what to grab onto
0: Do you think people generally are coming to an understanding of that in their own hearts and souls and are beginning to kind of grasp for things to try to cure that hopelessness
1: i mean in a hopeful way i i think so um you know but i think there's sort of much like everything in life there's two ways to live and when you come to that realization it can drive you further into despair um, you know, almost into a, one of the things I talk about in the book is is really there's there's two types of cynicism and active cynicism and a passive cynicism. And the active is really like a functional atheism. It's um, it's so much sarcasm. It's so much distrust. It's so much everything that it leads you to a place of, of despair, <clears throat> to the place of there. Is, you know, there is functionally no hope. So I'm just going to live the best way I can. Passive cynicism is, you know, what we see more among believers, people who, believers in Christ Jesus who know better, who, who know and believe that He is coming again, that we have every reason to place our hope in His, in his second coming. Um, but we end up to a place of not really despair, but really more resigned, what I call resigned indifference. Um, you know, often in culture we hear people just saying, you know, whatever. Um, it's just sort of that sort of attitude toward everything of of, yeah, I know this is true, but really functionally the way I live is more of this kind of whatever attitude. So it's more of a passive cynicism in that way,
0: yeah, no, for sure. And it, it's crazy to think about it, and i'm I'm sure you thought about it. Uh, and I'm really glad that you talk about this in your book because this is the main idea that as Christians, obviously, we are to, base, our, our hope, and and pretty much trample over the cynicism with this glorious hope, obviously in the gospel, in the midst of this uh, cynical age, because so often um, our, our gaze, our hearts, yeah, our hearts gaze, which you talk about again, is, is set on just what's in front of us, this world, and that obviously creates this cynicism. So, for, for, for many, though, here's my next question, for many... Uh, including myself, this this hope, this gospel hope can become very kind of just religious, traditional. It kind of becomes heady, intellectual. You know, I, I know it. I hear it from my pastor all the time. I read it in books. But so often it can never impact our actual heart's gaze or our emotions, our affections, or at least as it should. And my question is, why do you think we can be so quick to turn our heart's eyes away from our gospel hope?
1: Well, we have every reason in the world to turn our hearts and eyes away because we're competing with so many distractions. And by that, I don't just mean the things we've talked about, the onslaughts of 24-hour news and, and so- social media feeding us with the latest things that's happened, good things and bad things to people all around the world. I mean, even, even in, a, in a Christian culture where we're just bombarded with book after book after book of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to do these things, it just gets overwhelming trying to even keep up to figure these things out. And uh, so... Part of even what I'm saying is this book is not even that long. I, I hope not to occupy too many people's time and attention with it because it is a, you know, trying to compete. I'm really just trying to get at helping people remember the core of the Christian faith. That's why in the title I use the word mere, you know, which many people will recognize from C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity, because I mean to use the way the word mere in the way he does um, in this the sense of core or central hope of the Christian life. So it's... We're distracted from it. It's actually really not that hard to get back to it. It's it's very simple, but it's we sort of have to fight for it. So it does start in the mind and the heart. It's not you know it's not twelve steps or anything like this, uh, but it's a choice to to remember and start back at what the core hope we have as Christians.
0: Right, and and I so appreciated that as I as I was reading the book myself, and just that sort of the it, it was bringing it back down to the the roots of the true gospel. And I, and I love that. And speaking into that, obviously, you mentioned four areas in the book which we need to, to look. Um, so, I'm wondering if you can actually just first explain what those are.
1: Well, I, I take kind of my cues from what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that the eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And what I mean by that is it matters where we look and what we see and not just with our eyes, but with our hearts as well, on what we choose to set our gaze. It's a conscious choice every day. And so this recapturing mere hope as an answer to living in a world of cynicism begins with where we look. And so I've divided the book really into four sections, encouraging believers to return again to look down at the foundation of our hope, to look in at the fountain of our hope, to look out then at the flourishing of our hope and then to look up finally at the focus of our hope. And each one of these, you know, kind of following a different passage in the New Testament and exploring doctrines that relate to these.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's so good. Now, as you say that too, I'm reminded of uh, of Peter who, you know, gets out of the boat and is like walking towards Jesus on the sea. I don't know if this can can relate at all because I just I'm remembering that he's looking to Jesus, but then he looks away at the waves and he begins to sink. And I think so often for us, that's the exact same thing that happens in our lives.
1: No, and I think that's a great, a great imagery of, of definitely of a, a metaphor of what happens in the Christian life. That's why there's the New Testament is replete with challenges to where we're going to set our eyes and what are we going to fix our gaze, not just to, for the pursuit of godliness, but, but really f- for the establishment of this hope, that by faith we have to look beyond what we actually see physically. Um, and be, and a lot of that's just remembering uh, what we know to be true.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm wondering, uh, Jason, as I was reading your book in the, I think it was the third part when you're saying you're looking out to the flourishing of our hope, you talk about the story of you going to visit your friend. Uh, I think it was in China, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Yeah, yeah and, and it was actually, as I was reading this, it was actually a little bit emotional for me because I, I was kind of, I was feeling with you, uh, when you were in that uh, in that gathering of people worshiping worshiping God, I'm wondering if you could just explain to us what looking at the flourishing of hope is, and then sort of explain how this story impacted you so much.
1: Right. Well, the, what I'm trying to do there with the flourishing of hope is just a reminder that the Christian life we can often become so insular and we be- become so introspective, and we need to be looking in. We need to be putting sin to death. We need to be sizing up where we are in our walks with Christ. But sometimes we do that to our own detriment. We don't realize that all of that is meant to propel us then to look out to the ends of the earth, that Jesus assigned his disciples and the, the churches that would follow to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. My friend who uh, he served now in China um, with the International Mission Board now for 20 something years. But when he first went there, he was assigned to a, a far western um, region of the country where there were many unengaged, unreached peoples, peoples who have never even heard the gospel at all. And his first assignment was to get on his bike and to basically map out where all these peoples were. And after a number of months, he, he established where all these villages were. And he, he said, well, there's one sort of mountain range I haven't been over. I'm just going to go up over that just to make sure. And he goes up and over, and he realizes, and he sees just scores and scores of more villages, you know, just people and people that n- nobody knew was there, never been mapped. You go from that point to when I was with him just a few years ago, in one of those villages, he began to live and work, saw a number of people come to Christ and a church eventually planted, and I was worshiping with him in that church gathering. And, it, you know, that it all came together, that here's my friend, we were in college, and now over the last 20 years, God's used him to go out and see the the flourishing of hope to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and these people now are, humanly speaking, worshiping and trusting Jesus because someone who has been transformed by Christ Jesus has taken the gospel message to him, and uh, it's a component of this hope. We, you know, we we're trying to get ourselves into a place of of spiritual, emotional, and mental health ourselves, but we often don't forget that that's for a purpose. It's for us to be taking the gospel to other people, to taking that hope to other
0: people. Yeah, which which is so critical because I feel like so much of our culture tells us just to look at ourselves. You know, it's so autonomous, like fix yourself, all these self-help books. So it's it totally makes sense that the, the church can be influenced uh, by that, uh, where we're always just preaching that, you know, uh, so that's so important. Now, you know, Obviously, all of these different, you know, areas to look like looking at our foundation, the gospel and and in the fountain of our hope and so on and so forth, all of them are essential. But when you look, uh, Jason, at the young adult culture today, which I assume, you know, dealing with at a seminary and things like that, you deal with some, a few young adults for sure. um, Which area do you think is most lacking that needs to be most emphasized?
1: Yeah, I think especially in our context here, we have young men and women in college. Uh, in our undergraduate program, in our graduate program, and they're all moving forward. And they wouldn't be here if they didn't have a desire to do great things for God and things like this. But the thing that I see is this final chapter, this idea of looking up and remembering the focus of our hope. And in our context, in doctrinal terms, this is really eschatology or the study of the end things. And we've really lost a healthy eschatology. Sometimes in younger generations, we've lost it because we've seen an older generation, you know, Take it to, you know, to try to pinpoint the exact date and time when Jesus would return, and that you know, turn them off and things like this. But in jettisoning in that, we've lost hope. We've we've forgotten the truth. the The reason I believe the, that God gives us through the Bible any sort of inkling of the return of Christ is not so that we can calculate the times and dates and seasons. Uh, it's to prepare us to be ready, but it's ultimately also to give us this hope. We know how things will end. We know. We know what will come. We know what's true and eternal for the next trillion years, not just the next hundred years. And um, and so part of our regular living out the Christian life is to help ourselves and to help others to look not just at our circumstances, but up over them into the future and, and put our focus on Christ Jesus and His his return one day and the hope that comes with that.
0: Totally, and I think that you know I was I was interested to know which one uh, you would choose there, and I I think that's that's good because even even for myself as a young adult, I I haven't been encouraged uh, amongst my Christian friends to to think about it and dwell on it. And as I read through the New Testament, uh, I find that different writers like Peter and Paul they make this effort to sort of use language like we're we're in the last times. And he, he's coming like a thief in the night. And there's these, the, they use this sort of rhetoric to to help their readers understand, like, you you must live, you know, with this expectation, this eager expectation, because it's coming. And I I don't see that in my culture today, those, that kind of language.
1: Well, it, it you know, it betrays that we're really not relying upon God. We're relying upon ourselves. And uh, one, one of the stories I tell in here, there's a real famous sign, and you see it all over, you know marketplace and things like this, this red sign that says, "Keep calm, carry on," which is inspiring and so i don 't mean to just you know bash this idea of there 's something to be said in certain realms of life of just hunkering down and especially in a sporting arena or you know something like this, you know just sort of you know, exercising and just sort of toughing it out but that 's really no way to live the Christian life and um, you know really, what that is in philosophical terms is stoicism. And so there's an evangelical or Christian stoicism that we often find ourselves drifting into, meaning if I can just get through this semester, if I can just get through this trial, if I can just get through these things, if I can. And what that is, is we're relying upon ourselves and the scriptures, um, you know, especially, you know, I think I'm looking at Second Timothy in this one chapter and other places tell us that that's not the way at all. Through suffering and things like this, there should be a looking up and a reminder of and a reliance upon God and how he is able not that we can do this but that he is able and we should rest and put our trust in that. So the, the the diminished eschatology or the the weakening view of the end times really is what that means is we have a small view of a very big god. And if we would cast our our gaze up to him and rely upon him and throw our hands up at trials and sufferings and cling to him, you know the the hope will return.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And and obviously in your book as well you 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 offer this different kind of slogan a mandate uh, or mantra it is well he is able which I think is awesome. I mean, if you're listening right now and you sort of had this sort of keep calm and carry on in the back of your mind, I suggest you switch that now with it is well, he is able. Uh, it's so much better. And you know, it's interesting. I think for some of us too, Jason, it could be the Lord's will that, you know, he really does bring some some trials and suffering to help us rely on him. I think of Paul in the beginning of 2 Corinthians when he says, we were almost, we almost died, but that was for us that we would rely on God <laughs> and not ourselves, which is so powerful. Yeah,
1: that's uh, so true. true. True and good. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I find too that that a lot of Christians uh, settle. This is sort of our next question: settle for living like the world, and that kind of Christianity is, is just one aspect uh, of their life, like a hobby or a passion or something like that. Now, from your experience, I was wondering, Jason, if you could give my generation, which is the twenty to thirty somethings, Give them an appeal to live with this gospel hope, uh, like in in a real sense, in all areas of life. What does this look like practically for us to live this gospel hope out?
1: Right. I think, and again, it's not an effort on my part just to make it simple, Um, because it isn't simple. It's, you know, hard and challenging, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, what one is to do practically every day is not complicated. It's not, you know, you need to master this book or you need to do these types of things. I think I think simply it, it really is just rooted in where we set our minds and hearts every day and every moment of the day. And one of the ways I line it out in the book is, is really emphasizing what the Scripture talks about as remembering. It talks often about remembering and not just looking back to the Old Testament and seeing how God worked and reminding ourselves who He is, but it's just every day reminding ourselves what do we know to be true, who is God, what is true about ourselves, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what the world is telling us, regardless of anything else the way we know our place and standing and rightness before God, uh, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, is, is because we're remembering and knowing what is true. And, you know, we see all this all throughout the scriptures. You know, one of my favorite places, of course, is in the book of Lamentations, you know, when the destruction of Jerusalem is, is falling all around them. And he comes to chapter three and talks about this great passage of great is, great is your faithfulness, God. Um, but before that, he tells them to remember remember their hope, remember what they have in it. And it's this kind of remembering and coming back. We see all throughout Scripture this kind of call to remember. So I think the best way we can fight to regain our hope every day is just starting each day by remembering what we know to be true more than how we feel and allow that truth then to guide and direct us. And bring. Up. it's not something to be to be lived out in isolation either. You know, this is why we have the local church Uh, So we have a body of brothers and sisters around us to help us to remember when we gather corporately through hearing God's word and singing and praying and these things. But it's a a call to remember and it's a call to proclaim what we know to be true.
0: Totally. And you know, it's interesting as you say that. I I love that. And you say in your book, uh, reminding oneself of the gospel is one of the most practical things one can do, which is so true, as you've just explained. But I do want to just kind of... Uh, say this as a reflection of that because I I try to do that but you know, in a, like early in the morning you're driving to work or school and you're tired it. It's not just like you're okay, God's God's real and you feel good. You have to discipline your mind to actually work through these truths of the scripture and it, it is a discipline to remember because you're tired and you know perhaps you've just had a uh, an argument with with a friend or your wife or whatever. You have to discipline and it does take it does take an effort and you have to create a habit of doing this.
1: Right. And I no, I of course couldn't agree more. I mean, the call to discipline ourselves for the pursuit of godliness is the Christian life. It's just, you know, what frame of mind are we doing? it? We can do it in that stoicism, keep calm and carry on sort of way. Well, I've got to read this, memorize this, listen to this. If we do it from the fruit of the gospel, remembering what we know to be true, then the desire comes to memorize God's word, to, to be in God's word, to pray and all these other kinds of things. So no, absolutely, the, we are to pursue holiness and to do that in a systematic and disciplined way. But as a as a result of you know the gospel, not in in pursuit of it.
0: That's so good. And as our last question here before we wrap up, Jason, uh, for some for someone listening, perhaps they're they're driving right now or they're cleaning the house or whatever. What's the first thing uh, that they can do to begin living in this reality of our future hope? And maybe it is just reminding themselves right now of the truth. I'm not sure. Well, J.I.
1: Packer, who's one of my favorite authors, and I would never even claim to be able to write anything close to him. Although, you know, this book is inspired by his lifetime of, of taking theology and applying it to the culture. That's really what I'm trying to do in a very, very brief way. He said about hope, he said, hope is a tender plant, easily crushed and extinguished, and every believer must budget for having to battle for it. And so hope is something we can do every day to, to really wake up and to seek to claim. And that and to realize that that if we are feeling out of sorts or feeling off or whatever else, we should be trusting in what we know to be true. So that, that call to remember first and foremost and that desire to battle for hope is um, something we should start and do every day.
0: That's so good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jason, for your time and your wisdom. Uh, If you're listening and you're interested more in in this hope, in this reality, and how to help uh, our heart's gaze look at all these different aspects of our hope, then you should totally get Jason's book. Uh, Get it, read it, Uh, Mere Hope, Life in an Age of Cynicism. Um, I've had the great privilege of reading it. It's solid. It's gospel focused. It's rich in in scripture It's rich in Lord of the Rings if you're a Lord of the Rings fan uh, And it's short uh, as uh, as Jason has said, which is really helpful uh, For us. So anyways, it's, it's available right now on Amazon pre-order I'm going to provide the links for you if you're interested on that, but it comes out in June of this year uh, so anyways if you have uh if If you're interested more on uh, with Jason's kind of writing, different things like that, you can go to j g d u e s i n g dot com anyways, again, thank you so much, Jason. I hope to have you back on the show again.
1: Oh, my joy. Thank you so much, Isaac.
0: That was Dr. Jason Dusing talking about hope in an age of cynicism. Uh, When the book comes out in June, which has almost the same title, the title is Mere Hope, Life in an Age of Cynicism, uh, when it comes out in June, I'll definitely remind us all where we can grab it. Anyways, at In Doubt, our hope is to make an impact on our culture, even specifically the Canadian culture, but obviously it spreads out uh, to other cultures as well, by providing relevant conversations that will equip Christians and engage non-Christians. So if, if you've been impacted at all through the ministry of In doubt, we would really love to hear about it. You know, I know it may seem weird to, you know, simply email us with, hey, In Doubt, I've been impacted in this way, dot, dot, dot. But honestly, it's super encouraging and not just for us, but for others as well. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm looking at, say, a book, I'm like super interested to check out the endorsements. I want to know what people have been saying about this book, who they are, things like that. Same goes for movie reviews and so on. So if you'd like to do this, there are multiple ways you can help us. First, review our show on iTunes. Super helpful. People read those. Second, email us at hello at indote.com. Super simple. And thirdly, just send us a private message on any of your uh, you know favorite social media channels like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. That simple. Also, if Indote is a ministry that you agree with, as in you're into the mission of bringing the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we face every single day, cultivating conversation, then I'd ask you to prayerfully consider making a donation. You know, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a hundred, a 1, thousand, whatever it is, it all matters because everything we do at In Doubt, we give out for free, which is really important to us, but it also costs us money to do so. So putting our podcasts out and writing our articles and making our Bible studies and all these different things. Given out for free, but it does cost us money to do that. So, if this interests you at all, no matter your capacity to give, just click the donate button and follow the prompts at indo.ca if you live in Canada, or indo.com if you live in the States. And I'd just like to say thank you in advance. Connect with us this week about our show, maybe about topics or whatever you'd like. Perhaps you have a guest you'd like to hear from. Let us know. We would love that. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we hear from Dwayne Fraser from Joshua Project. It's a small organization that makes a huge impact on Christian missions in this world. See you then.